going to start by reading to you here. We're going to be in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This month, we are talking about what it means to have life to the full. Abundant life. It sounds good. I was reading this week, we use this term in, in economics. We, we throw it around a lot, like what does it mean to, have, to live a life of abundance? And you probably have something in your mind. It might be um, this image, maybe an achievement or a goal you want to attain. That's kind of abundance, abundant life. Maybe it has to do with adventure or, or relationships. Think about it. What comes to mind? Maybe it's the sense of having everything you need and then some. Is that kind of abundance? But God, if God is the maker and he's the definer of abundant life, then he's going to be our best source, right, in, in defining what this is. And in John 10.10, 10, he says that he is the way. He is the way to this, that he came so that we can have life to the full. And what I read just now is a snippet of a greater teaching that he gave, Jesus gave. And in it, there's two key players. There's a thief and there's a shepherd. The one who is leading us to abundant life and the one who is destroying it. And notice when we read here, there isn't really a third path. We can't really be on both paths here. There is life and there is destruction. So if we want to have life and life to the full, we are wise to look to the good shepherd to lead us there. And Andy shared with us last week in, in terms of one of our most precious resources that God has entrusted to us, our time and our money, that abundance, as the good shepherd leads us to, doesn't always come in the ways we think. That when it comes to these resources, that abundant life is found in actually giving it away for the good of others and surrendering it rather than holding it tightly. And this week, we're going to talk about another gift that God has entrusted to us, and that is relationships. It's people. And this is a, this is a tricky thing as well in our culture because there's an undercurrent in our world that leads us to establishing ourselves as individuals, right? Kind of figure out who you are, what you like, what you want, you do you, right? That's the message. People are going to let you down. The only person you can really count on is? Thank you, Steve. Okay, we're done. We're done. <laughs> the only person you can count on is yourself, right? But this path of individualism and kind of figuring out your independence, this is not the way of the good shepherd. This is the way of the thief. And it's leading people not to abundant life, but isolation that is destroying us. Actually, I, I didn't know if I was going to share this because I wouldn't necessarily recommend this movie. But last night, Andy and I stumbled on this movie called Self-Reliance. Anybody? We had never heard of it. 
And it, there is a guy who is offered this very bizarre opportunity to be on a reality show. And the challenge is that he has 30 days to stay alive while people try to hunt him down and kill him. And if he survives the 30 days, he wins a million dollars. And the only catch is they are not allowed to harm him when he is within three feet of another person. And so if he can just be with another person for 30 days, he wins the million dollars. And the movie is kind of this interesting commentary on what we're going to talk about today of how weird it is in our culture to just be with people, to be close all the time. And each year the Surgeon General, the U.S. Surgeon General, publishes a report and he talks about our national health crises, like what is on the radar right now that is physically hurting us that we need to pay attention to across the board. So in the past it's been things like smoking or the opi opioid crisis or um, depression, anxiety, heart disease, things like that. 2023, you know what it was? Anybody know? In his 85-page report, he talks about loneliness. Loneliness is the major epidemic health concern of our day right now. 77% of Americans, he said, are experiencing this in a way that is detrimental to their physical health. And Many of the crises that we, have th we think about are tied to this very thing, loneliness. And it's the most dangerous kind of health problem because you can't see it, right? And so you're experiencing it, you feel it, but you can't name it. Actually, The Atlantic came out with an article that said, how to know if you're lonely. Like, we don't even know how to name this. And so when we go back to the beginning, like the very beginning, like Genesis beginning, we see that God created us for relationship. It's built into our bodies. It's built into our being. And you can read through the creation account in Genesis, and we see that God names a lot of things good. He makes the heavens and the earth, and he says, that's good. And he puts the sun, moon, and stars in place, and he calls that good. And he creates all kinds of creatures and land and rivers and mountains, and he says, these are good. And then we come across this one little note where he says that something is not good. Genesis 2.18. It's right after he makes the first human. And he says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper, a companion. And this word helper is someone to come alongside of you in your need. It's actually referred to the way God is our helper. He comes along and strengthens and encourages us in our time of need. This is the picture of the gift of relationship that he gave us in the beginning. So the creator of life, the definer of life to the full says, it is not good for us to be alone. But it doesn't always seem obvious to us, right? We think that being independent makes us strong when it actually makes us weak. It makes us vulnerable to attack. It, it isolates us with our shame and our secrets. And we move through life thinking everything's fine. We work hard. We are getting things done. We're figuring things out. We got our little phones in our hands and our AirPods, earbuds in our ears, and we're blazing through life. And all of a sudden, we feel this ache of loneliness, and it hits us out of nowhere sometimes. And it looks different. Maybe it's the moment that you realize you need to move and you don't have anyone to help. Or you don't know who to ask you to pick you up from the airport. 
Maybe it's news that you get, good news that you really want to share with somebody, or the other side, bad news, and you don't know who to call. It's the moments when we feel left out. It's the moments when we're in a room full of people. Maybe it's our people, our friends, and we say, no one here really knows me. And it's an ache of loneliness. Neuropsychologist Dr. Kurt Thompson says that we come into this world looking for someone who is looking for us. And that at our most core basic need is this need to be seen, soothed, safe, and secure. And when one of those things is missing, we feel lonely. Maybe we don't feel seen. We feel like no one notices us. Or we don't feel soothed. We feel like no one cares about our pain. Or we don't have a place where we feel secure enough to share where we're at. And Justin Early wrote a book this year called Made for People, kind of in response to this epidemic of loneliness. And he says that if we want to fight this pull towards loneliness and isolation, we've got to put some things into practice. We've got to be intentional. right? If you, if you want to get carried away by a current, by a tide, all you have to do is nothing. Right? So if we want to fight this current, this, this trend towards isolation, we've got to put our paddle into the water and start rowing. And so we're going to leave here today with three things, three ways that we can row against this current. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about this idea of capacity. Um, Robin Dunbar is a British anthropologist, and he published this study that's pretty widely accepted about the idea that there are a limited number of relationships that the average human can maintain. So like the way our brains work and process, there are limits. And so he kind of develops this layered approach to relationships. And the first layer is right at the core, the closest, kind of the circle in the middle. I don't know. If, yeah, we have it up here. And this is our two to five people, your inner circle, your best friend, maybe your spouse if you're married, maybe um, a parent or a sibling. And these are the people that know you, and you know them. And it's not the performance version of you, it's the real you. And hopefully these are people that you don't have secrets with. This is at your core, two to five. And then the next layer out is your friends. And this is anywhere from 15, 12 to 15 to 50, depending on who you are. You know who you are. <laughs> These are people that you do life with. You do stuff together, right? You celebrate things together, birthdays. You know what's going on in each other's lives. You're, you're bringing this person a meal if something's going on with them. And at Fireside, we hope that you have these people in your life. They may be people from your core group. They may be people from your table. These are intentional places that we meet regularly for the sake of relationship. And then you move out to the third layer, and he calls this your acquaintances, and it's 150 people. And this is what's known as Dunbar's number, because this number of 150, he said, this is the max number of people that you can have meaningful relationship with. And after that, things start to kind of fizzle, drift, collapse in, in different pockets of society. And what's cool about this number is it kind of transcends history and culture in different ways. Like it's the average size of a village. It's the way military organizations divide up. It's the way a lot of corporations divide up into teams that that 150 seems to be an important limit. 
It's actually weirdly the average size of people's Christmas card list. So it, it seems like there's something to it, is this 150 meaningful relationships that you can maintain. And then the final layer, this outer layer, is your tribe. And this is kind of people that you don't necessarily have a relationship with, but you have an affinity with. So it could be the people in your town. You share geography or, or your school. Maybe you don't know everyone. You don't have a meaningful relationship, but you have a connection to them. For us as a church, you know, we have this fireside community, but we're connected to the body of Christ around the world, right? And so we have this affinity to a greater group than just who's right here. And so this is the, the, the outer layer. All right, so why does this matter? Does anyone, does anyone care about this with me? For one, when we talk about practices, when we talk about things that we want to do in our relationships, it's good to remember that not everything we're going to talk about is relevant to all four layers, right? It's not going to be true for all people at all times in our life. Second, we need to remember that all four layers matter. We need relationships in all four layers because there's kind of like a funnel effect here that your tribe kind of produces your acquaintances, which kind of produces your friends, which is how you get to that core two to five. And if we're honest, when we think about not being lonely, that's kind of what we want, right? We want those people that are just the ride or die in it with us for life. But sometimes we're so up here that we miss those layers to get there. Jesus modeled this when he was here on earth with his people. He had his core. He had Peter, James, and John, right, that he had special conversations with. They witnessed things that other people didn't see. And then he had the 12, 12 men that he invested in intentionally over time, right? So he showed us the importance of those layers. And when it comes to our mission to follow Jesus together, what's really important to remember is those core two layers, the, the two to five and the friend layers, that's where the good stuff happens. That's where transformation happens. That's where healing happens. That's where we actually start to change in the presence of people with the encouragement and support of each other. So that's kind of what we're going for, but we need them all. All right, so are you ready? First thing to start practicing, to walk away here, to put your row in the water against loneliness and isolation. First thing we need to practice is presence. This is the one of the most powerful things that we can give each other as humans, our focus, our time, our attention. Presence says, hey, I'm with you. I'm in this with you. And it's the reason why group exercise is so effective when CrossFit took off a little while ago, and ever since then, we've had these different ways of like working out in community. And I've been paying attention to my movement a little more over the past couple years, and I've noticed that my best workouts, the places that I am working the hardest, are always in those group settings. It's in a spin class, it's hiking with friends, it's working out with friends. And I kind of wish that wasn't true because it would be so much easier and more convenient if I could just get on my stationary bike in my house and pedal. But it's not as effective because it is helpful when you're doing something hard to have someone in it with you. When the instructor says to increase your intensity or they add another song at the end or, or you've been hiking and you're like, how many more miles are we doing this? To have something, someone in it with you helps you to keep going. I think about this with our kids. We started hiking this summer and 
when it's just our family, hiking is incredibly difficult for them. And they complain the whole time and they want to quit. But when we bring a friend, the hike is not any easier, but somehow it is because they have someone in it with them. Dr. Kurt Thompson says, our brains can do a lot of difficult things for a long time as long as it doesn't have to do it alone. Our very brains know when we're alone. Actually, there's this really cool brain study. Dr. Jim Cohn out of University of Virginia, he set up two groups of people and he put them in MRI scanners so that he could watch the way their brain um, was working, how it managed stress. And then he introduced electrical impulse, <laughs> a little bit painful. They all signed up for this and said it was okay. And, and the two groups of people were exposed to this pain source, this electric impulse. And, and then he said, I'm going to have one variable between these two groups. I'm going to measure the effects of, of pain and stress on them. But the one group of people, he allowed them to bring in one person, a close friend, a family member, someone they trusted, and that person could hold their hand through the whole experiment. And the difference was that the people with the close, trusted person that would just hold their hand, their brain actually registered lower levels of pain and stress. They were experiencing the same thing. They didn't change the trigger there. They just gave someone presence. And that made the difference for them. Sometimes it's hard for me to accept this, right? Like that my presence is really the best thing I can give people because I want to fix it. I want to give them my story, my advice, my, my words of wisdom. And what people really need is just for us to bear witness, just to witness what they're going through and be with them in it. And that is the power of presence. But here's the thing. Presence requires us to show up. It costs us something. If nothing else, it costs us our time. And I wonder if instead of letting our schedules shape our friendships, do we need to let our friendships shape our schedules? What would it look like to commit to a weekly coffee with someone or a monthly dinner? Hey, third Thursday of the month, dinner. What if we had someone that we called every Monday morning on our commute? Or what if we had some friends that we went away with Every season, every, you know, once a year, twice a year. I know some of you are thinking, must be nice to have that kind of time to do that, right? But this is what it is. This is the intentionality that is required if this is what we want. Remember, to drift, you do nothing. Planning something is like rowing. Committing to it, showing up. And if we go back to our circles of, of different relationships, Professor Jeffrey Hall, he kind of did some work on Dunbar circles, and he investigated how many hours it takes to move in relationship between those layers. And so he estimates that it takes about 90 hours to move from acquaintance to friend. So if you think about a couple hours a week with someone, I'm not a math genius, that's like a year, right, that it takes with someone. 200 hours, he estimates, it takes to go from friend to close circle. I mean, that's some time. That's not just like a couple times. And I just wonder, are we willing to be in it with people for that long? Are we willing to show up again and again and again over the long haul? And it's funny, when I think about this, I wonder how many times I'm waiting for people to initiate this with me. I'm waiting for people to reach out to me 
to make the call or, or set up the plans or, or text or ask me the question. But this kind of stuff takes initiative. If we're all just doing that, nothing happens. And so that's a big part of showing up too. I will say there is another side to this coin, right? Because there is making plans and prioritizing time, but we also gotta let go a little bit, right? Like don't wait until your house is clean or that your renovation is finished and don't wait until you have this magically beautifully open Saturday because that's not always practical, right? What if we just started showing up at our friends' houses when we were in the neighborhood? Wouldn't that be weird and great? Some of you do this and you know it's, it's weird and great. I think my hesitations around this feel like they come from a good place. I wanna be fully present with people. I wanna have this perfect environment so I can really be present for them. But if I'm always waiting for that, I'm gonna miss out. And I think that's just the reality is that some of this is gonna be inconvenient and not perfect and kind of messy and that's okay, that's okay too. Other co cultures are a lot better at this. I grew up in Kenya and everybody there that I lived around spent their whole day with their front door wide open. No screen, nothing, just wide open door. And so if you wanted to go to someone's house, you actually didn't even knock, you just walk in and you'd say, hody hody. And that's like Swahili for just saying like, I'm here, I'm walking into your house right now, hello. And then you just bring that person into whatever you're doing. You don't stop. It's like if you're making dinner and someone walks in, you just keep making dinner with that person. Or, hey, I'm running out the door to go pick up the kids from school. Jump in the car, right? Like that's what it looks like to just make relationships a part of our life. And when you look at the Gospels, you see that Jesus modeled this for us so well. Just scan through sometime one of the Gospels and see how many times it said Jesus paused. Jesus stopped. Jesus noticed. Jesus took time to. He's always doing this. He's just stopping in the middle of everything, in awkward situations. He even invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. This is what he did. So I wonder what it would look like as a community to start bringing in our circles of friends like this. Second thing, number two we got to practice his vulnerability. I know we all love this word so much. But the definition of loneliness for many people is having people not know who you really are. And we start setting ourselves up for this at a really young age. Child psychologists talk about this theory of attachment and how right from the beginning, we are observing the way our people respond to us when we reveal different parts of ourselves, when we show them things about us, our emotions, how we respond in situations. We're looking at our people and we're saying, hmm, does this make my people move towards me or away from me? Think about a toddler having a tantrum or a child kind of expressing their anger in a variety of ways, not always beautiful, right? And they're looking, they're saying, are my people going to leave me, basically? And then those kids grow up to be adults and we walk around with this idea of, hey, there are these things about me I need to manage because I know how much I need people in my life and if they knew this or they witnessed this, I know what happens. 
And so we're just managing, we're constantly managing people's perceptions of us and trying to figure this out, but it means that they don't really know. And we can understand the instinct towards this, but we got to practice a different way. That's what genuine love does, right? It's taking the risk to say, hey, I'm going to show you what's really inside and that person saying, I'm not leaving. I'm, I'm with you no matter what. Show me anything you want. That's fine. I'm not leaving you. It brings that security. And some of us may hear this and say, you know, I, I share stuff with my people. I tell them what's going on, right? And Justin Early defines this difference between sharing and vulnerability. That's pretty interesting. Sharing is what we do to update people on what's going on in our lives, right? But vulnerability is what you do when you let people in to your life. So to be vulnerable is to share in a way that exposes you to be potentially hurt by someone. It's risky. It takes courage. Very different from the update version. So maybe it's the difference between saying, I'm having a really hard time. I'm, I'm really stressed lately. That could be sharing, right? But vulnerability says, you know what? Lately, I have needed like three to four drinks to unwind or I can't sleep. Very different way of sharing vulnerability. And one is the way to healing and transformation. And one keeps you stuck in your secrets and in your shame. And there are healthy boundaries at play here, right? We're not like vulnerable with everybody. This is where that inner core comes in, that it is a select few that have logged in the hours of presence that you do this with. But when we have those people, we have to commit to them. We have to create those environments where we're doing this because that's how we fight the tide. Jenny Allen says that we can't be fully loved if we are not fully known. That's how we make sure we're known. And notice in our Genesis story, we see Adam and Eve in this perfect world. God gives them each other and gives them relationship with him. And what's the first thing they do when they sin? When they, when they fall short, when they mess it up, they hide. And then they try to manage God's impression of them as if he doesn't already know what happened. They're already managing. And the enemy of our souls wants to isolate us with these things because that's what prevents us from real relationship. That's how the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So we've got to practice vulnerability. The third thing, third thing we got to practice is forgiveness. In the book Made for People, it says we need to get really comfortable with the reality of flawed friends. Because the reality is that no one can hurt us more than our friends can which means that you cannot practice real friendship without practicing forgiveness. And that is constantly. There are a lot of relationships that have good potential that don't survive past that first conflict. Because something comes up and instead of practicing forgiveness, we just kind of move on to the next person. Or we ignore it, we let the relationship wither resentment builds. And practicing forgiveness means embracing the fact that every meaningful relationship that we will ever have involves pain. Pain that we cause, pain that is caused to us, 
And it's going to require honesty and grace and forgiveness. And we're not going to find a relationship that's not messy because it's imperfect people, friends with imperfect people. And this, again, this is the thief wanting to kill, steal, and destroy this powerful gift of relationships by using our conflict to divide us and cause us to walk away. The way of the good shepherd, the abundant life, looks like forgiveness every step of the way. Uh, Band, you guys can come on up. We're going to get ready to close here. There's this other piece that has been on my heart thinking about this. Because we can do all the right things. I really believe in what I'm sharing with you this morning as something that will fight loneliness. But the truth is we could do all these things and still feel lonely. And that is because that ache for loneliness is often the ache for God. And we can have these centers of circles, but at the very middle has to be our relationship with God. We can't look to people to fill what only God can fill. St. Augustine about God said that you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And so in many ways, this ache of loneliness is, should drive us to the Father. And we, can put the, we can't put that on our, our best friend or our parent or our spouse. He's the only one that can shoulder that. Part of our hope for this fireside community is for everyone to have what we call a core group. And this is a group of three to six people who agree to meet intentionally. They're following Jesus together, and they're going to share their relationship with God. They're going to log some hours of presence. They're going to create a safe space to be vulnerable. They're going to practice forgiveness together. And if you already have a few people that you are following Jesus with, we would love to help you take this next step of intentionality with them. If you want to let us know who you are on the website, we can give you some resources and some next steps for what that could look like. If you're sitting here and you're like, I don't even know where to start. That's okay, too. We would love to walk with you as well. And we'd encourage you to look at that core group's website and, and see what some next steps are. But this is our hope. This is at the core of who we are as a community is relationships, discipleship in relationship. And it's really hard, but it's really worth it. And the band is, is going to give us a minute here. And I just would love for us to sit and listen to just see for like one minute, to just ask God, what is your next step here? When you leave here, what is your next step that he wants you to take? And maybe it's a person that he wants you to reach out to. Maybe, maybe it's something around forgiveness that someone has dropped the ball and you've been carrying some resentment that he's inviting you to let go. Maybe it's some people that you want to say, hey, I, I, let's, let's create some rhythm here. Let's do this every week. Maybe when I was talking about vulnerability, there was that thing that you're like, oh, that's the thing I don't like sharing with anybody. And maybe it's an invitation to just bring one person in. We're just going to give you a minute to listen and see what God is inviting you to.